0: Oh, good morning, North Point. Hey, we are just so excited that you're here. We are here on the Kerman campus, and we are just thrilled to be here. Guys, we have been saying every week that you need to be a part of what's happening in Kerman because I'm telling you God is doing something significant here. So again, Pastor Andrew's been throwing out the challenge if we could get 50 people that would commit to three months of just joining us here. I'm just going to say Fresno, this is where it's happening right here in Kerman. And so in fact, I'm, I'm Coming from our main campus in Kerman And we're shouting out to our multi-site there in Fresno So we're excited you guys have joined us And maybe you're with us online today We want to take a minute and just say thank you for being with us online Bottom line is, no matter where we are Uh, We're believers that love Jesus, and he's changed our life. And so no matter where you are, we love you. We're excited that you're here. Now, hey, uh, before we get going, I just want to make some quick announcements. First of all, as you know, Easter's coming up. And around North Point, that is our, it's like our Super Bowl. And uh, we're so excited about it. I wanted to mention to you that for Easter weekend, we have a Good Friday service uh, that will be live and at 6 p.m. in Fresno. um, And it's going to be a great time. So we'd invite you to join us for Good Friday where we're going to focus on the cross, and then we're having Easter services on Saturday and Sunday. Saturday will be at 6 p.m., Sunday will be 9 and 11. Now, I just want to encourage you, if you're joining us in person, especially if you're joining us on Saturday, that is in Fresno, and I just want to encourage all of our regular members to please consider coming to Saturday night. We know we're gonna have a lot of guests on Sunday morning and we wanna make sure there's plenty of room for first-timers, especially people who haven't come to know Jesus Christ yet. And uh, we want them to experience comfortable environment. So if you're a regular attender, join us on Saturday night, 6 p.m., we'd love that. But whenever you come, we're excited that you're gonna be here. And hey, also wanted to mention, on Easter weekend, per kind of a tradition we have around here, we are doing our One Day to Touch the World offering. This is where we ask you to look at your annual salary and divide it by 365 days to figure out what would I make in one day. And then we're gonna take all of the offering that is collected that day and uh, we're just gonna send it beyond us. In fact, I was talking to Pastor Andrew. He was telling me that we're gonna send it to uh, new and young church plants. We're gonna send it to North Point, India. We're gonna be using it for disaster relief. There's been a lot going on in our world, as you know. So we're gonna be trying to meet needs. And we're just trying to reach um, the unreached people groups. And so we're going to give you more specifics as we go along. Uh, Also, some will be going to local things. But bottom line is, if you could calculate that wage, we want you to be a part of that. And then finally, guys, I just want to say to you, on Vision Weekend at the end of January, I shared with you a vision post-Easter for for a movement that we are going to do together called Come and See you 've heard the vision about North Point Fresno uh, building a coffee ho- a coffee house or a coffee shop, and uh, we 're going to do that together and we 're going to expand our patio. The bottom line is together we 're going to transform our Fresno campus into a place that every day of the week, people would want to come and possibly just hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Definitely experience an environment of faith and hope and love, and you're just going to be blown away when we tell you all the plans for this, but I want you to mark your calendar and be thinking about that just right after Easter. In fact, you're going to be hearing about desserts that we're going to invite you to. So whether you're online, whether you're in Kerman, uh, no matter where you are, whether you're in Fresno, there are going to be desserts we're We're going to invite you to, to come and hear the expanded vision, and you're going to get a look at things that uh, otherwise you wouldn't be able to see when you come to that dessert. All right. So, hey, we are in the third week of a series that we have called All the Feels, and it's been a series where we've suggested that um, God wants you and I to know how to respond to the deep emotions that we have. And we said that there really is a gospel way or a third way to respond to your emotions. Um, And I say a third way because the world says there's a couple of ways. Number one, you could say, I'm going to go with every feeling I have. You can overestimate your feelings and say, boy, if I feel it, I have to go with it. That's what secular society says today. Or you could religiously say, I don't have negative feelings, and, and, I, and you act like you have the victory all the time. That's to underestimate or stuff your feelings. But what we've been saying every week is that God doesn't want you to do either of those things. Both of those are an extreme. What God wants you to do is he wants you to pray your feelings. And for that reason, we've been looking at the Psalms because the Psalms are basically songs or prayers that were written as an expression to God. And in there, you're gonna see there were deep, serious feelings. Now... As a part of this series, I want to mention to you. You're going to notice this slide. There's there's a part of our website now called northpointorg feel. And if you go there, I just encourage you. We've got books listed there. We've got uh, podcasts. We've got worksheets and information that will help you do deal with big feelings. And so we just want you to check that out as a resource as you begin to pray through your feelings. Also, don't forget we have a few weeks of this series left. Uh, don't forget we want you to be reading through the Psalms. So make sure that you. Take Take time to do that. Now today, what we're looking at is doubt. And I want to begin this message with the basic claim or the big idea or the thesis. It's this. Now maybe you don't think of it. Maybe you don't realize it. But doubt is always first and foremost a condition of your heart. It's more than a condition of your mind. I just say it's a heart issue over a head issue. And doubt is one of those emotions that can be dangerous because it's deceptive because doubt always masquerades as more intellectual than it is. Now, in Psalm 73, here is a person, this was read to you already, and here's a person that is filled with doubts. They're struggling with doubts about God and faith. And here's what I wanna do today. I wanna see how he describes it. And I want to look at what the condition of doubt really is all about. Then we're going to look at, according to this psalm, what causes it. And then finally, we're going to look at how do you cure it or how do you deal with it. So it's really practical. But let's just begin here with what I'd call the condition of doubt. Verse 1 and 2 says this. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my foot almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, this word foothold, I'm just going to tell you, you don't talk about a foothold when you're walking on level ground. Nobody walking on level ground says, oh, I lost my foothold. They might say, I stubbed my toe. They might say, I tripped. But you're only gonna lose your foothold when you're climbing, like when you're climbing a ladder or you're climbing a mountain. In other words, you're fighting gravity. You're moving on up. You're climbing something. And notice, he doesn't say he actually slipped. He says, I almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. In other words, the idea that that he's giving here is that he's teetering and he's tottering this is someone who's on the precipice, and if you can imagine you're climbing something and you get dizzy, he's disoriented. See, in the Bible, the idea of your foot slipping off a mountain is really describing, well, it's, it's being eternally lost, and you're going to see, therefore, what this man is saying is, I almost lost my faith. I was teetering on the brink. So here's what I'd say to you. If you have your notes already, just grab them. Because if I were to define what doubt is, I'd just say doubt is this. Doubt is a form of spiritual and emotional disorientation. Again, let me just say that again. Doubt is a form of spiritual and emotional disorientation. In other words, your eye gives your brain something that it can't process, something that you didn't expect. And doubt is sort of a form of spiritual vertigo. It's like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. And your heart can't process something that you've seen God do, and you're saying, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. For example, notice the scripture here. He writes, I thought God was good. And then he says, and then I saw something I couldn't believe. Look what he says. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And that gives him vertigo. And so he says, I nearly lost my foothold. I was just filled with these unbelievable doubts. And what it always does to us is that it leads to this spiritual disorientation. Now, second thing I wanna say about doubts that we all need to understand is that doubts can happen to anybody. Doubts can happen to anybody. Why? Well, I just point out here for just a second that the man who wrote this psalm was a man by the name of Asaph, and Asaph was a spiritual guy. In fact, he was one of the writers of the psalms, and he had a growing, thriving relationship with God. Yet even Asaph, one of the writers of Scripture, says he was ready to throw it all away. He's ready to blow everything. Guys, listen to me. I don't care how spiritual you are, doubt can happen to anybody. In fact, I'll just say it to you this way. Here's a little insight. If you don't ever lose your foothold, it means you're not really climbing. Because anybody who's climbing is going to lose their foothold once in a while. Everybody doubts if they're really seeking. In other words, I'm saying if you're digging as well as you should into the scripture, you should have doubts. I was telling people at a men's study not that long ago that I probably have more question marks written in my Bible today than I did when I was a new believer. Because I study God's words so regularly and there are things that I just don't understand. But I'm going to tell you this. The Bible has an amazingly balanced view of doubts. See, the Bible uh, sees things in doubts. Well, it, it sees it as tremendously positive. In fact, just the, when we talk about the condition of doubt, I just have you write this down. Doubts truly can produce a positive effect now, nobody likes to doubt. In fact, I've had many people come into my office or, or share with me after church, man, I'm really struggling with doubt. Pray for me that I don't have doubt. And I understand that feeling. We want certainty. We want security. We want control. And usually when we have doubts, well, we're either really condemning in ourselves. We say, oh, I, I shouldn't be doubting. What's wrong with me? I have to be a person of faith. Maybe you're there right now, today. Today. And you're saying, I'm in doubt and I'm ashamed of it. Or we do to other people, we say they're in doubt and they confess it and we act like, oh, you shouldn't have questions. I don't know, I just believe. You should believe, just believe. Other people just get paralyzed by doubts. They don't know how to move. It just freaks them out or it halts their faith. And guys, I'm just gonna say to you, the Bible is not at all like that. In fact, look look at, in John's gospel, Thomas, one of the disciples of Jesus, he's walked with Jesus for about three and a half years. He spent time in the presence of the master, the king. He's seen the miracles, but then notice what he says. He says, I won't believe unless I see the nail, unless I see the wounds in his hands and put my finger into them. He says, I got to see the nail prints. I just don't believe that. I have to place my hand into the wound that's on his side. Now, I want you to notice, just think about, look at this scripture. If you've ever read this, I just ask you, what does Jesus say? (laughs) Does Jesus say, oh, what a terrible thing, Thomas. You shouldn't doubt Thomas. No. What does he do? Now, it's, it's really balanced because what does he do? Check this out. First, he calls him to stop doubting. He does do that. He says, don't be faithless any longer. But then what's important here is what he does. He says, okay, Thomas, put your finger here and look in my hand. Put your hand into the wound on my side. In other words, he gives him evidence. (laughs) He shows him the nail prints. He doesn't say, well, not good enough, Thomas. You should just believe. You should just trust me. No, no, no. question I'd have for you is, why in the world would Jesus indulge him? Don't you see? It's because there's a balance There is an enormous positive energy in doubt. Why? Well, just say because doubts can lead you to answers. Doubts can lead you to investigation. Doubts can lead you to growth. On the other hand, Jesus does say, you're gonna have to trust me. But if I were to talk to you about the condition of doubt, if we were sitting over coffee and you're saying, hey man, I'm really struggling, there's just a couple things I'd wanna say to you. So I want you to write these down. It is so important we get this and that you understand this as a maturing person that's growing in their faith. Write this down. It's an interesting observation. Number one, if you start with doubts in your Christian faith, more than likely as you grow, you're gonna end in certainties. And it's okay to doubt and it's okay to have questions. And if you start with them, you're gonna probably end up with some certainties. But if in your Christian faith, you, need, you think you need to start with certainties, I've seen this happen over and over again. You will probably end with doubts. And I see a whole lot of churches out there that don't like people asking questions. They don't like people asking hard questions. They just want people to come and just accept it. And I'm just gonna tell you, We are setting those people up for failure because we're teaching them that God doesn't like questions. And I'm telling you, God is big enough to handle your questions. He's big enough to handle the details that you're trying to figure out. God's not intimidated by the truth. In fact, you have big questions, good for you. There are answers. Go for it. Study it. Seek it out. I'm confident that God's going to guide you in a positive way. Enormous positive results can come. So here's what I'd say about doubts. Don't be overawed by your doubts, but use them. Use them to dig. Use them to climb. Why? Because I am going to admit this. You may be here today, you're watching this online, you're in Fresno maybe right now, or maybe you're here with us in Kerman. Um, I'm just going to admit it. Every doubt has a true problem. Every doubt. So you should take the time to wrestle with it. It's only superficial Christians and weak Christians that would say, well, there are no problems. There are no contradictions. There are no issues that I struggle with. Well, that just means you haven't asked the big questions. If you want a model, you just go to the book of John, John's gospel, and look at John chapter one. And you see that Philip meets Jesus. And Philip, one of the disciples, his life has been touched by Jesus. So Philip goes to Nathanael and he says, Nathanael, I want you to see the Messiah. I want you to see this Jesus of Nazareth. And what does Nathanael say? (laughs) He gives this big statement of doubt. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? In other words, I I doubt you've seen anything good. Can anything good? So what, what what does he say? What's Philip say? Does he say, oh man, you gotta stop questioning? Or does he say, oh, well, don't come with me. If you don't believe, you're not worth it. Or you'll never receive him. No, no, no. He doesn't say that. But notice, he also doesn't say, oh my gosh, you're right. He does come from Nazareth, so oh, maybe I'm wrong. No, what does he say? He says, look at the verse, he says, come and see for yourself, which by the way, I'm so excited about our come and see vision, so that we could be inviting people to do that, people that have doubts. See, come and see means it's okay to doubt, but let's go figure this out together. Now, I want to talk to you for a minute about the cause of doubt then. What usually causes that? And I'm going to go through this fast because I want to spend virtually every last minute uh, talking to you about the cure. So let's look really carefully. Notice what he says here, verse three. The psalmist says, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now that's the particular thing you'll see that created the doubts for him. This is a very spiritual man. But he says, I saw something and I'm just gonna say there are lots of things that create doubts. I've seen a lot of people, for example, who say, well, you know, I believed in Christianity. I get this a lot from college students especially. They say, oh, I believed in Christianity, but now I've met all these people from other faiths and other religions and other philosophies, and they're all so intelligent, and they're all such good people, and they're all so smart, and they're all so kind. In fact, they live such good lives better than Christians that I know. I don't know how Christianity could be the truth. Sometimes people say that's not what happens here. In his case, again, he's really honest. He says, it's envy. I envy the arrogant. I'm seeing them prosper. The point that I'm trying to make to you is is that something always comes in and gives you doubt. It challenges your heart. And so what does he do? He looks out there and he sees the injustice. And I've blessed you by not including the entire psalm, but I'll just read it to you. It's not in your notes, but he says, I look at these people. And he says in verse 4, it's not in your notes, he says, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy. Their bodies are strong. And yet they drink up waters in abundance. They scoff. They speak malice. They threaten people, but God blesses them. Here's a people who he's saying they are so wicked. They are so selfish. They are so self promoting. And yet God seems to bless them with wealth. And God lets them flourish. By the way, this really does challenge one of the common ideas in America that wealth is the sign of God's blessing. Because here we see the exact opposite. He's questioning God because God, why would the wicked be blessed so much when I'm not and I've been so faithful? Now, I'm just gonna ask you, this is injustice, but do you think this guy's just seeing injustice for the first time? Do you think this is the first time he's ever thought about injustice? No. But it recently hit him personally. In fact, I'm gonna say that's usually how it happens with doubt. So if you just write this down, usually our doubts start when the pains we experience become personal pains. He already knew about injustice. Think about it. Friends, you already know about so much suffering in the world, but it's not until you experience the suffering that you question God. It's not until pain becomes personal that you start to say, where is God? That's why it's a heart issue, you already know about it up here. What does he say? Notice verse 13. He says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. Surely in vain I have washed my hands in innocence. He says all day long, I verse 14, I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. God, what is this about? Why are you doing this? Now guys, this is what doubt is like. When your heart is struggling because your pain becomes personal. And here's something, the reason I'm pointing this out is because this is something we've just got to understand. Write this down. This is is very important. Faith is never opposed to intellect. Write that down. Or I might say it another way. Your faith is never opposed to your reason. And I say that because a lot of people think that. They think that, you know, faith is the opposite of, of doubt. But no, it's not. It's not... Faith is more of the struggle of the heart than the head. Things aren't going the way that you think they should and you're bothered. What's happening here is what you've experienced now makes what you've believed unbelievable because of your heart condition, your pain. When that pain becomes personal. And what is faith, by the way, then? Faith is holding on to something in spite of appearances. Faith is saying, yeah, this is happening to me but God, I'm going to choose to trust you anyway. Yes, it hurts. I'm going to pray my doubt. I'm going to pray my tears. I'm going to pray my fears. You're going to learn next week. I'm going to pray my anger. I'm going to pray then my guilt and shame, but you take them to God and faith is holding on to something in spite of appearances, what you know to be true in spite of how things. So what do you do? How do you pray it through? I'm gonna take the last 10 minutes and just speak to you about that. Four things to cure doubt that we learned from this very godly guy, Asaph. You ready? All right, let's get ready. Here we go. The cure for doubts. Number one, if you just write this down. First thing you've gotta begin to do is you've gotta doubt your doubts. Just write that down. You've got to learn to doubt your doubts. Now, you say, well, what do you mean by doubt your doubts? Well, if you wanna be (laughs) fair-minded, you shouldn't just doubt the faith. Think about it. If you're a fair person, you should doubt the doubts about the faith. Yes, you might doubt the faith, but you should also doubt your doubts about the faith if you're gonna be fair. Because you look at what he does. You look at this amazing honesty in verse three. He says, let's look at it again. Come on, he says, in fact, let's just read it together. He says, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, That's a very honest statement. Here's the first big point. Whenever you doubt, your motives are never pure. Now, it is true, you might have a truly intellectual issue. His was injustice. His was, why am I suffering and others aren't? But he admits, although it's injustice, and that's a great problem for believers, if his life hadn't been going badly, he never would have been bothered by it. What was the motive? It was envy. Why am I suffering and they're not? I'm envious. I'm not moving up in the world. I'm not experiencing the blessing that I think I should. See, here's what I'm saying, guys. You have to sort of distill out of the doubts the the dishonesty of it. You have to take a good look and do the heart work and say, why do I want to have this doubt? Why am I thinking this? You know, I've told you this as a congregation before, um, but, but it's such a good illustration. Um, I have a friend, and uh, he was born in England. He lives all over the world. And he used to do a blog, and the blog was called Who the Hell is God? And total skeptic, total atheist. And he asked me, he said, hey, Shane, as a pastor, would you uh, comment on, on my blog? And I'm gonna just going to post questions. And people of all types of faiths were commenting on this blog. And, and uh, I noticed that he began to post things that really were untrue based on his own experience. I noticed there were certain things that he would say that I knew him well enough because, see, I've spent a lot of time with him to know, well, that's not entirely true, is it? In fact, he would make these broad statements about Christians that almost offended me because here he's a good friend of mine. He's lived with me in my house. And so I remember I called him up and I said, dude, I I have a problem with your blog because you're not being honest. (laughs) You're sharing a side of it. You're sharing a part of it, but you've not shared our experience. I sure hope you're not talking about me. You know what he did? He sort of laughed and he said, Yeah, but I don't want to write about that. I don't want to write about that. And you know what he said? He said, Look, fact is, I don't want to believe. And he didn't want to believe because he knew the, the, what it would mean for the implication of his lifestyle. Truth is, when it was all said and done, he wanted to live morally the way he wants to live. So, doubt's not always honest. People say, well, I'm skeptical and that makes me honest. No, that just makes you skeptical. But you need to get to the bottom line of why you're skeptical. What's really going on in there? You have to distill out of the doubts, the dishonesty, do the heart work. In this case, I talk about my friend, I'd say his doubts are probably about 20% honest. (laughs) I'd say they're probably 80% dishonest. Why? Because I'd say like most people, they're just ways of getting him out of being serious. Because have you really seriously looked? Have you really seriously sought? It's always something, guys. Listen, it is always something. There's always some pride in there. There's always some desire to control. There's always some motive. So what I'd say is the first step is you doubt your doubts. Let me give you the second step according to the psalm here. Asaph, what does he do? Write this down. It's a metaphor. You've got to enter the temple. If you just write that down. You've got to enter the temple. See, because verse 17 says... He has this problem with doubt until he entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood. See, this is very important. You have to think about this. What is Asaph saying? Well, you think, what did he go into the sanctuary to do? He went into the sanctuary to to worship. He went into the sanctuary to participate in worship. In other words, to engage with God. And here's what people have to get. Guys, you've got to get this. Listen. You didn't get into your doubts by thinking alone, so you're not gonna get out of your doubts by thinking alone. There's a whole lot more that went into making you have doubts, so you're not gonna get out of it just by thinking it through. Let me tell you, your doubts have started, or you have doubts because of your personal experience, because you've been in relationship with people that maybe have given you doubts because they've said things that have made you question. You're questioning Maybe you've been around people or you're experiencing a new way of thinking and because it's new to you, you're thinking, oh, that sounds right. But my point is there is always something. When I first started experiencing super doubts, it's when I went to Fresno Pacific College and I was a theology major and a history major, but I was experiencing tremendous doubt because I read a book by Bertrand Russell about why it's silly to believe. And and that started to cause some questions within me. And I remember I went through a serious time of doubt, but I'm gonna tell you this, it wasn't just the book that made me doubt. It was that I was hanging out with people that liked Bertrand Russell, and I didn't wanna wanna be a joke. I didn't wanna be made fun of. I didn't wanna be considered, so it made me start to question. Guys, you have to figure this out. What's going on there? So what does he do now? What does he do? It says he goes to the temple He says, notice verse 24, he says, God, you guide me with your counsel and afterward you take me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. In other words, what does he do? He prays. He sings. He writes a psalm. He approaches God. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You may be here and you're a skeptic, And you'd say, wait a minute, you're telling me if I'm even not a believer, I'm a skeptic? I don't believe in Christianity. Are you suggesting I come to church and worship God? Absolutely, yes. Otherwise, it's not fair. The world is giving you all sorts of senses telling you why you shouldn't believe. Why not engage those senses and start saying, I'm going to give belief a shot? Why don't you try prayer? Why don't you try worship? I will never forget in that period of my life saying to God, not even sure if I believed a God would hear me, but saying to God, "Okay God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me." And it was an angry prayer, but it was a real prayer. Show yourself. Make help me to believe. I encourage you to sing. You know what? If you're here and you're a skeptic, you're not a believer, I encourage you. First thing you should do is get in a small group. Start talking to people, asking them, why do you believe? What's changed your life? That's why I love, by the way, around here that we have alpha groups where people can come and ask honest questions, and it's okay. There's no problem with that. Sit down every so often and say, Lord, if you're there, can you hear me? Can you show me? Number three, write this down. Here's the third thing. You've got to compare the footholds if you'd write that down. remember, we talked about what a foothold is. You're climbing. And if you're really a person of faith, you should be climbing. And every so often when you're climbing, you lose your footing. You lose your foothold. Now, I'm gonna guess that the average person here in Kerman, the average person in Fresno that's watching right now, or you're online, I'm gonna guess the average person has put their faith in the faith that's probably why you're watching for most of you which what that means is you're putting your weight on your faith you're putting your foot down on your faith maybe that's true but maybe you can relate to the psalmist where you're going through something he says but as for me in verse two my foot almost slipped and maybe you'd say that's me right now there's something going on in my life I'd nearly lost my foothold you're not sure what to do Here's what I mean by compare the footholds. Consider the alternative to belief. If you're not gonna believe in the faith, well, what's better than that? I'm just gonna ask you. I know you've got a heart problem. I know you're hurting. But compare the footholds. Where are you gonna step if it's not the faith? And see, here's what happens. He starts evaluating Where he could step, and this is so insightful, guys, you gotta get this. He starts looking and he starts saying, here's what happened. Notice verse 17, he says, I entered the sanctuary of God, and he starts evaluating the wicked steps. He says, I understood their final destiny, surely you placed them on slippery ground. In other words, I'm looking at their ground and it doesn't look very safe. That's what I mean by compare the footholds. If you're not going to step on the faith, then what's better? I challenge you to investigate that honestly. Every time you put your foot on a rock and you're climbing, you're putting your faith in that rock. And I'm just going to ask you, whatever you're climbing toward, is it stable? That's a principle that we all need to get, guys. Listen to me. Listen to me. When it comes to faith, a person never has to choose between belief and unbelief. That's not the choice. Because if you say you don't want to believe in the faith, then you've got to choose to believe in something else. You're never choosing between belief and unbelief. You're choosing between the faith and some other kind of faith. Why? Because, listen, you're right. I can't prove there's a God, but I can't prove there is not a God either. You're going to make a faith claim one way or the other. I'm asking you, where's your foot going? And what do you think's gonna hold you up? Because if you're not gonna trust the faith, if you're not gonna trust the scripture, if you're not gonna trust Jesus who is the Christ, then you're at least gonna trust your intellect. You're at least gonna trust your own tuition. You're at least trusting your cognitive faculties, you know? It's really funny because a lot of atheists that I know, they say that our brains came from, you know, unguided, mindless forces that just put us together. And I think, you're telling me that your brain came from unguided, random forces? And they're like, yep. And I'm like, and you trust your brain? How would you trust your brain if it's come from unguided, random forces? I wouldn't trust it but if I know it's created by a creator that has intellect, if I know my brain is made by a brain far beyond mine, far beyond time and space, well, I can put my foot on that. I can trust that, but it's gonna be an act of faith. Friends, I'm just gonna say to you, it takes enormous faith to believe in Jesus, but it also takes enormous faith to reject Jesus. And the psalmist looks at those who don't believe, and he looks at the fruit of their belief, and notice what he says, he says how suddenly they are destroyed. Look at this. He looks at them and he says they are completely swept away by terrors. Like in a dream when one awakes. In other words, he's saying ultimately it's more slippery not to believe in God. So what do you do? You doubt your doubts. You go into the temple. You engage with all your senses. You participate. You see if it's real. You start to compare the footholds. You look at the problems of Christianity. Christianity. Look at the problems of not having Christianity. Notice he says here, he says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, in other words, when I was doubting God, he says, I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a brute beast before you, he says. But then what does he do? Last point, write this down. He feels for his hand. He feels for his hand. He says, God, reveal yourself to me. God, show yourself to me. God, I'm struggling, but make it there. Notice he says in uh, verse uh, 23, he says, yet I am always with, with you. You hold me by my right hand, God says. He says, God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, I just pray that that's true for you. As you seek him, as you say, God, I'm gonna take you my doubts. As you pray through your doubts, that God would make the difference for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your good work, gracious work in our lives. Lord, we thank you that um, we can come to you with doubts and we don't have to be afraid that somehow we're wrong because we struggle or that somehow you know who we are. (laughs) Your word says you know that we shuffle along on feet of clay. It gets easily bent and bruised and broken. Father, help us to put our faith in you and help us to go through the process of expressing our feelings to you without fear. Oh, God, how we love you. And Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, any person that has said, I've not put my faith in Jesus Christ, right now, would you reveal yourself to them that you are a God that loves them, that wants to come and live within them. And as they confess that they want to believe in you and their belief, make yourself known. In fact, with everybody, just just in a moment of prayer, just repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I want to know you. Just in your heart, just say that. Jesus, I want to know you. Help me with my doubt. I want to get honest about why I have doubt. And if you're there, reveal yourself to me. Jesus, we love you and we praise you in your precious name. Amen. Hey, listen. Just want to say if you do not know Jesus Christ, we want you to know him. You don't have to go to God alone. Some people are so scared to talk to God. They don't know what to say. There are people in our prayer lounge in Fresno that would love to pray with you. Um, To the left, they're probably standing there now. You probably see them. I'd encourage you. If you want prayer online, then you just say, I need prayer, and somebody will meet you right there. They'll pray with you. You can chat online. Gosh, they would even call you if you wanted them to you're here in Kerman uh, there are people that are in the back that would love to pray with you gosh I'm here today at our Kerman campus I'd love to pray with you but point is we just want you to know Jesus Christ guys we love you thanks so much for taking the time to uh, worship with us today I'm going to turn it back to our host